you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me, please, back to 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, where we had started last week a little bit, and we were sharing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole chapter again, verses 1 through 18, but I'm going to start at verse 14, and I'm going to read through 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath, un, hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We uh, started uh, taking a look last week at uh, this particular passage as we've been looking through 2 Corinthians. And uh, as uh, the whole uh, book is actually written, this letter is actually written to encourage the church, a church that had been through a lot of difficulty, a lot of problems, a lot of shortcomings. Uh, if you read the uh, first letter uh, to the church at Corinth, you'll see many of the problems that they had. Uh, but in the midst of it, we have been reading through and looking at some of the main focuses that have been in these chapters. And in chapter 6, as we come to this, the big focus that is here is a call uh, to separation. I uh, read a, a cute little account of an individual that uh, went to the doctors. Uh, it was a man that had some problems. As he walked into the doctor's office, the doctor noticed that he had two really bright red ears and uh, the doctor asked him what in the world happened to his ears. Uh, they looked like they were burnt. And uh, this, individual man, this individual that was a little bit kind of common sense challenged, uh, he said, well, I was in the midst of ironing my shirt and the phone rang and instead of picking up the phone, I accidentally picked up the iron and stuck it to my ear. The doctor says, oh my goodness, that really must have hurt. He says, but what happened to the other ear? He said, well, the phone rang again. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes we don't learn in the whole process of things. And uh, we need to stop, I think, occasionally and uh, maybe recognize that uh, in the process of our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the process of us serving him and desiring to uh, please him is, is that we need to take the time to be a little bit uh, uh, more obvious in our decisions and we need to certainly uh, make sure that we are paying attention to what it is that we are doing as we follow Christ. It doesn't just happen naturally. In fact, there is probably a sense in which our natural life and our natural bodies and this natural world actually has an antagonism uh, for what uh, the Lord would have within us. And so we need to actually intentionally stop and recognize our position with him and our practice as well. Uh, we uh, talked a little bit about this whole issue of being unequally yoked and I had the opportunity last week to have a little bit of the illustration with the children that were here and uh, had a chance to show you a little bit about uh, what happens when we're unequally yoked and if we are yoked with uh, that which is not really that is uh, really proper and we had a you know a big child and a small child and obviously they don't go together but then uh, took two of the children and had them face the opposite directions and I think sometimes that happens uh, when we're in the process of, of trying to accomplish something 
something. If we've got one person going in one direction, another going in the other, it's really not going to work well either. And so we talked about the whole issue of being equally yoked and unequally yoked. And in the midst of it, there is a very clear call. And uh, I already shared in the very first part of this that the call is compelling. And the call is very succinct. Uh, the Lord says, be ye holy as I am holy. He actually says elsewhere, be ye perfect as I am perfect. So the call is really quite clear. And we mentioned the fact that it's God's will. And uh, we went back to Romans 8. And most of us are Romans 8, 28. 28 uh, for we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God to them that are the called according to his purpose. Uh, but we also took a good look at verse 29 that follows that. And it reminds us that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that it is God's plan for us that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it is God's will uh, for us to walk after him. But it's also God's will uh, that we begin to take up on those characteristics and those traits. Uh, uh, and serving is certainly one of the biggest ones that is there. We also mentioned that it is God's work. And uh, we said that ultimately it's what God is actually doing. He's actually in the process of preparing us and shaping us and molding us. The scriptures in the Old Testament particularly refer to us like lumps of clay. And he's the potter, we're the clay. And he's molding us and shaping us. Uh, elsewhere in the scriptures it says that we, and we've already looked at this previously, that we are earthen vessels. We're like clay pots that he wants to fill and that he wants to use. And uh, there is a sense in which it is God that is working in us and it's his plan and purpose to work in us and he calls us and he compels us to be separate we also took notice of the fact that the call is competing and uh, internally and externally there is always the issue of facing the world the flesh and the devil over in first john chapter two and you can go there and look at it a little bit later but it talks about the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and it talks about the challenges uh, that are upon us uh, there is the whole issue that uh, has to do with this competition and it's uh, actually primarily through the senses and we have you know seeing and hearing and touch and smelling and taste all those things and and that those are are, are ways in which Obviously, the competing world uh, tries to make its inroads within to us and try to mold us and shape us and control us and cause us to be conformed to the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, there are many spiritual attacks that we have, and uh, they certainly address our heart and our will. Uh, but uh, the competition uh, is not only uh, before us, but it is very subtle. And often it's very hardly noticed. It's usually little things that, that we are challenged by step by step. And we also mentioned the fact that the competition is strong. Uh, that the enemy is working diligently uh, to certainly to, to control us and to mold us and to shape us. And we need to be very careful not to underestimate it. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get all the way through. And so today, uh, before we share around the Lord's table, I thought it might be good for us to spend just a few moments uh, to address somewhat of the practical aspect of talking about this whole issue of yokedness and not being unequally yoked uh, together with unbelievers. And uh, I want to suggest to you that we address not only the fact that the call to separation is compelling and not only that the call to separation is competing, but I want to suggest to you in very simple terms that the call to separation is complicated. And it is. It's very practically complicated. This yokedness, uh, it's not necessarily easy. It is a challenge. And in simple terms, it requires a couple of things. First of all, it requires some decisions. And I might want to say, and you'd think that it would be obvious, but it requires good decisions. You know, one of the things that we talk about and we share in as believers is, is that God has given us a free will. 
And uh, if we take a good look at the scriptures, uh, there are a couple of different uh, types of theology that people have. And there are some people that move to a very fatalistic uh, kind of theology and they talk about everything being predestined, predetermined, and that uh, we have no choice in anything. It doesn't really line up, however, with the rest of the scriptures that it simply describes and tells us uh, that God is willing that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so there certainly seems to be described within the scriptures that whosoever wills may come and uh, there is a there is a free will aspect in which God has given to us the opportunity uh, to be able to come to him or to reject him and at any given moment human beings are either accepting the Lord or they're rejecting the Lord uh, there isn't anything in between now uh, I know I'm one of these people and uh, if you've been around me uh, uh, very long you know that I'm one of these people that I like to try to get things in a little bit more a uh, black and white kind of position uh, I, I like to I, I look at some of the things that are going on in the world today and I see some of the choices and some of the things that are going on and I have to confess to you that it boggles my mind how people take some very important issues and instead of taking them to heart and them allowing them to make uh, decisions and choices and, 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 and uh, actions in their own life, uh, they kind of set those aside. And there's some people that can take what they call their faith and set it aside over here and they go about their business. So that on Sunday morning, uh, they're a born-again Christian and they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But come Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, all of a sudden they're a different person. And uh, I know that doesn't apply to any of us here. None of us would ever act differently in any given moment. Uh, <laughs> you know, the reality is, is we know our shortcomings. We really do. And uh, the world is there, of course, challenging us. And there is a sense in which it becomes very complicated because the truth is, is that God gives us choices and he gives us a free will and he lets us make decisions, good ones or bad ones. He allows us to make those decisions. Most of us are familiar with individuals like Moses. Moses had a, a lot of challenges in his life. He had a lot of privileges in his life. Somewhere in the midst of those things, some of you remember, and most of us forget about this, uh, but he actually murdered a man. And uh, there was a soldier that was beating up on another slave person that was one of God's people, and Moses lost his temper, and he killed that man, and he tried to bury and hide that man. It came back to haunt him a little bit later on because other people had seen it, and believe it or not, the people that he did it for were the people that actually came back and says, I remember you, you're the guy that killed that guy. And, uh, you know, so he let him make that choice. Some of us are familiar with individuals uh, like Jonah, and uh, some of you recall the whole account of Jonah being swallowed by the great fish. And, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, that didn't really happen. I've got some news for you. It really happened. Uh, you know, as soon as I, I get a big kick out of this, uh, Jesus himself referred to Jonah and referred and said very simply that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. So if you're going to say it didn't happen, basically you're calling Jesus a liar. You know, it's really that simple. And, uh, you know, we don't like to always break things down in simple terms. But, you know, the amazing thing to me is not the fact that Jonah was uh, swallowed by this great fish and was there three days and three nights and eventually vomited up on the, on the seashore, up on, as he recalls, the dry ground. He was excited about that uh, after being in that condition. But the very simple fact that before that even started, God told him to go to Nineveh and to preach. And when he refused to go to Nineveh and preach, he actually allowed Jonah to go in the wrong direction. And Jonah goes down to Joppa and he gets on a boat and he heads for Tarshish. Now that's amazing that God let him do that. 
God didn't make him go to Nineveh. God didn't say, nope, if you're not going to go to Nineveh, you're going to be stuck right here. Instead, he gave him a free will and gave him an opportunity to go in the wrong direction. And uh, one of the truths that we must declare and one of the things that is certainly clearly scriptural is, is the fact is, is that God will let you and me make bad decisions. He doesn't stop us from making bad decisions. He doesn't keep us from making bad decisions. He doesn't keep us from going in the wrong direction. If we are insistent on going in the wrong direction because we've made our mind up, we've made our heart up, and that's what we want to do, guess what? God will let you do it. Now, you might end up on a, a tumultuous seas, and uh, you might end up being thrown overboard. You might end up in the belly of a fish. I don't know, but I do know that he will let us do that. And uh, we need to make the right decisions. There's obviously individuals like Peter. And, uh, you know, Peter, I sure hope that Peter had little feet because he kept putting them in his mouth. Uh, but, uh, you know, Peter, he couldn't help but uh, make the wrong decisions almost every single time. In fact, in fact, it would have been good back then if you'd have known, if you could have read the story after the fact and gone back and been with Peter, all you really needed to do is ask Peter, what do you think we should do, and then do the opposite because that would have been a whole lot better in the whole process. But some of you may recall that even Peter, Peter is given the invitation to step out on the water and to come to Jesus. And you may recall that as he does, he steps out, and guess what? He ends up walking on the water. But what happened after he's walking on the water? Everybody would think he'd be all excited, jumping up and down in the water. That's what I would have thought. Look, I'm on the water! <laughs> but that's not what he does. Instead, he gets his eyes fixed on the waves. And he noticed the waves, and guess what happens next? He starts to sink into the water because his eyes got off the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Instead of keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus, he let his eyes get fixed on the waves. And though he had the privilege of walking on the water for a brief period of time, he started to sink in the midst of that. You know, God gives us a free will. He gives us choices. He gives us opportunities to make choices. And I want to suggest to you that when we take a good look at being equally yoked and, and not being unequally yoked with the world, that we need to stop and recognize that it is complicated. It's not easy. I wish it was easy to say, you know, we can all just decide today we're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be unequally yoked with the world and we're going to go out of here and everything's fine. I got some news for you. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It's complicated. But what I do know is, is that we need to be understanding the principle that's involved, and then we need to make sure that we are taking the time to make the right decisions and the right choices when we have the opportunity. You're going to say, well, I've already made some bad choices and decisions. Well, I got some news for you. I've made a lot of bad choices, a lot of bad decisions in my life, too. You've made a lot of bad choices and bad decisions in your life. We can't focus on all of that. We need to get our eyes off the waves, <laughs> get our eyes fixed back onto Jesus, and we need to make sure that we are then in the process, first of all, prepared to make the decisions. You know, one of the reasons that we make bad choices and we make bad decisions is because we're not prepared in the first place. We're not really ready to make those. Those decisions sometimes were taken by surprise. And in the process, we are challenged with what to do and we don't know what to do. And very often when we're forced in that condition, we have a tendency to look around and make decisions of what everybody else is making. I don't know how many of you have ever sat around a table, you go out to eat, and uh, uh, everybody, the, the waitress comes, or waiter comes, and they're going to take your order, and, you know, they always stop, are you ready? No, have them go first. No, no, have them go first. No, no, have them go first. And uh, if, you're, if you're really decisive about food like I am, and it really matters to you what you eat, uh, one person will say, I'm going to have this and this, and when it gets to me, I say, I'll have that too. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me. 
in the process. But you know, it's interesting how we're molded and shaped by what everybody else is deciding, and we tend to look to see what everybody else is going to do before we make our own decision. And I'm going to tell you this morning that one of the failures that we make as followers of Jesus Christ is we wait to see what the world's going to do instead of taking a good look at what God's Word tells us that we should do. And it the reason that we don't know that is because we don't spend enough time taking a good look at that and understanding it and making it a part of our lives. And we need to be prepared to make the choices, to make spiritual choices, the right choices. We need to be prepared when the opportunities arise for us about being yoked equally or unequally that we're ready to make those choices and not be taken by surprise or on the spur of the moment. In the midst of those choices, we need to understand that those choices need to be not only prepared, but they need to be purposed, and we need to be committed to things. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I'm seeing in the midst of our world today is a real lack of commitment. Now, that goes across the board. I'm not picking on God's people or just church people. I'm talking about everybody in general. There's just a real lack of commitment. People have a hard time staying committed to something. Uh, some people get real excited about something and they jump on the bandwagon and they're all excited about it and then shortly thereafter, that's the end of it. They're not committed to anything. And uh, we make all kinds of excuses of why we talk about how the rest of the world, again, isn't committed. But, you know, it does come down to the body of Jesus Christ and I'll be very blunt the truth of the matter is, is that God's people are not really that committed in this day and age. It's just a fact. Uh, most of you may not be aware of this, but you know like less than 2% of people attend church in Europe? Less than 2% attend church in Europe? Now, before you get real excited, I've got some news for you. The numbers aren't really that great in America either. I'm not sure what they are, but it's really, really low. I remember some years ago back in, I can tell you when it was, back in about 1986-87 in Johnstown, I actually called all the churches in Johnstown, wanted to get how many their church would seat. <laughs> I wanted to know about how many people could fit in any given church on any given Sunday. And I figured out, I did a few quick calculations, and I figured out that if everybody went to church in Johnstown, the greater Johnstown area, that if everybody went to church every church would have to have like four or five services every Sunday for there to be a place for everybody to sit in church in Johnstown. And yet, I would venture to guess if you ask the average person in Johnstown, do you go to church, what would they say? Sure. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I'm not suggesting to you that you know everybody's got to have a perfect church attendance or perfect Sunday school attendance or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I'm asking is a very simple question is how committed are we? How committed are you to the Lord? How committed are you to the work of the Lord? How committed are you to the ministry of the church? I, uh, I have to tell you, I was, I was really pleased a couple Saturdays ago. <laughs> we got together and we were doing a very simple thing. We went around town and passed out some Valentine cookies just to tell people that God loves them and that we love them and we care about them and uh, we probably ran into uh, probably, I, I guess we probably ran into about 175 people in that neighborhood. I know we passed out about 144 cookies, so uh, we ran into a few people here and there, ran into some people a couple of times. I thought it was pretty, uh, one of the things I thought was fun is I ran into a couple of people that already, the other group had already run into. <laughs> they reached in their pockets, they already got a cookie. <laughs> 
But what I was really pleased with, I'll be honest with you, is, is that when I showed up on Saturday morning, I was thinking it's going to be just a couple, three of us that are going to be walking around town with that. And instead, we had enough for two decent-sized groups of people, and I'm going to tell you, it was cold! <laughs> but we had a wonderful time of fellowship. And I was, I'll be honest with you, I was pleased. Brothers and sisters, how committed are you to the Lord Jesus Christ? But more importantly, how committed are you to him molding and shaping your life so that you are doing what he wants you to do and making the decisions that are pleasing to him? The other thing that is, goes very closely connected with that is, is that our choices, our decisions, uh, they need to be not only prepared and purposed, but they need to be preserved. We need to be persevering in the things that we do. We need to be holding on. I... Uh, I have to confess to you that uh, I am one of those people that uh, I like going to amusement parks. I don't get to go very often, but I like going to amusement parks. People will ask me, says, well, do you ride on rides? And I said, if they make it, I'll ride on it. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, like to, I like to ride on Now, do I get dizzy occasionally? Do I like heights? Absolutely not. Uh, but uh, that doesn't really stop me from riding on the rides. And uh, I, I, uh, I enjoy some of them. Some of them are very unique. Uh, there's actually a ride at Kennywood. Kennywood, by the way, is one of the nicest parks in America. Uh, but uh, there's a ride at Kennywood that I think kind of does all the things that you want to do. Because, see, some rides go up and down. Some rides go around and around. Some rides are in the dark. Uh, some rides uh, actually are moving forward and fastly, and some make really sharp turns. And they actually have a ride there that is uh, somewhat of an indoor roller coaster. It's almost like a wild mouse that's inside in the dark. So you can't see where it's going and when it's going. And it goes up and it goes down and it goes around. The car spins in the process and it falls rapidly. And it's in the dark so you can't see what's going on. So it's like one of the, one of the best rides I think that exists in, in, that's out there. And uh, it's just, it's a challenging thing. But you know, one of the things I've noticed that people ride on these rides and they ride on the roller coasters. And some of you know that uh, Kennywood has a couple of old wooden roller coasters. And uh, one of them happens to be the racers. And uh, uh, it's kind of a unique kind of a ride. It's one big long ride. You only get to ride on half of it. I think they ought to let you ride on it twice uh, every time you get on it. But anyways, uh, they, uh, uh, you'll notice that when people are riding on roller coasters that they're going up and down the things. And one of the things people do is what do they do? They put their hands up in the air, right? You know, now those, you get a little bit of negative gravity there when you're in the process of those. They get up at the top of the hill and you come up out of the seat and there's people who have their hands up in the air and they're trying to basically say, I'm not afraid, right? You know, that's really what they're trying to say. Now there's other people that have white knuckles and they're holding onto the thing as close as they can. Um, I have a son-in-law that's claustrophobic. And if he puts anything puts around him, he just has to close his eyes and hold on. He can't, he can't really stand that at all. But, you know, uh, it's interesting that I think sometimes as believers, we have a bad habit of trying to go through our life on a daily basis. And we get an attitude in our mind that I can just go through life with my hands in the air because I'm strapped into my seat and I'm okay. And I think that's not always a really wise thing to do. Truth is, is that we need to be holding on and we need to be persevering and we need to be holding on tightly to the word of God. We need to be holding on tightly uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We need to be holding on tightly to the fellowship of believers that we can be encouraged and we can be strengthened and we can be helped in the process of our life. 
Uh, brothers and sisters, we need to be persevering, but perseverance requires that there be an anchor, and it requires that there be a goal. It requires the, a, a very sense of, of strong commitment, again, that we are, have a sense of purpose about us. And as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, and as he's challenging them, he, you'll notice that he actually asks a few very basic questions here. When he says about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers, he says, for what fellowship, in verse 14, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? righteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part uh, hath he with, that believeth with an infidel and it makes a very clear distinction that we need to be clearly committed on one side for the Lord and we need to be clearly persevering and holding on and staying strong not by our strength but by his strength I, I can tell you I've been on some roller coasters I was really glad there was something over my shoulders holding me down because I sure felt pretty light when we got to the top of the hill. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to suggest to you that this call is a complicated one and it requires some decisions, but it also requires some dedication. If you take a look at verse 16 in the passage that we've looked at, it says, and, uh, not only what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you uh, there is clearly a sense in which we need to understand that we are a part of the temple of God that God dwells within us uh, I want to just uh, share some words uh, way back in the Psalms and some of you are familiar with these words you've heard them uh, maybe occasionally you have prayed them uh, yourself but uh, back in Psalm 51 and an amazing psalm that is actually it is David that is writing and he is sharing from the depths of his heart listen very carefully to what he says he says have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest behold I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me behold thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part uh, thou shalt make me to know wisdom purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit then will I teach transgressors the ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Uh, brothers and sisters, as we stop and we see this, this uh, request that David is actually making to the Lord and he's asking the Lord for to be cleansed and to be changed, to be remolded and to be reshaped, to be recreated within his heart, a new heart that he would be a new creature. Uh, it certainly echoes the same thing that we read over in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 where the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The only way we can prove that, the only way we demonstrate that is when we actually yield ourselves to him. And so there's a sense in which we need to be dedicated to him. If we're going to be, if we're going to be yoked equally, if we're going to be not unequally yoked with the world, there is a requirement of dedication. There's a requirement that we understand that we are the temple of God. There is an understanding that we need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which we need to understand that we need to be living sacrifices yielded to him. And in simple terms, there needs to be an elimination and uh, I, was, uh, I, I was trying to think in terms of how we address the problems in our life and how we address the sin in our lives. And, and uh, you know, the, the fancy word is that we need to eliminate them, but let me put it in simple terms. We need to stop. <laughs> it's really what it says. We need to stop. Don't do it. And, and there's a sense in which we need to yield ourselves to the Lord, and we do so by stopping doing the things that are the worldly things. Uh, there needs to be a sense in which we actually need to, there needs to be some evacuation. There needs to be some cleansing that takes place. We, we need to be washed and cleaned inside. You know, it's kind of interesting. I got a good hunch that most of us, now there's a couple of us that are a little bit quirkier than others, but uh, I've got a good hunch that if you walked into a restaurant today and the waitress came down and set down a glass that looked like it came off the table that was over there, <laughs> because it had not only spots all over it, but it had some dirt on the in the bottom of it and along the edges of it, and particularly along the top edges of it, that you would take a look at that glass, and as she was pouring the water in it to let you know that you had a glass of water there, that most of you would pick that glass up and drink it right down. No, you wouldn't. What would you do? You'd go, um, ma'am, um, I, I don't really want to bother you, but I, I think that glass is a little bit dirty. And could I get another glass because it's kind of dirty? And uh, I'm pretty sure that's what you do. Now, there's some of us that don't pay a lot of attention in life and might not even notice. That's probably closer to me, okay? But, you know, for the most part, we look at that and say, it's a dirty glass. You know, yet it's interesting that we feel that way about our glass of water at the table, but we never stop and think about what it is that we look like to God. What kind of a vessel are you today? Are you one that's spotted and dirty and got some dirt at the bottom of it and needs to be cleaned out? Or are we just saying, go ahead, Lord, use me. Yeah, you know, just take me the way I am. I'm okay, use me. The reality is, is God wants to change us and he wants to wash us and he wants us to be clean. We need to be evacuated. Uh, I, I, every now and then, mess around with the air conditioning systems and cars and so forth. And, and when you mess around with them, you, you have to do, you not only have to, the stuff has to get out, but you have to, uh, you have to make sure that everything is evacuated. And so they put up a vacuum pump on it. <laughs> And you let the vacuum pump sit there for a while, and what it actually does is it dries it out inside because it causes the moisture in there to actually boil and be drawn out in the process. Uh, but in the, in the midst of it, there, there has to be an evacuation. You have to get all the stuff out. If you don't get all the stuff out, it's going to mess the system up. And brothers and sisters, we need to recognize how important it is for us to be getting stuff out of our lives. So stopping sinning and then, and then getting stuff cleaned out. And the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus offers forgiveness. He puts it in simple terms. I can't think of a simpler term than he gives us in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pretty simple, isn't it? The reality is we need to do it. And then ultimately there needs to be a sense in our dedication that we're actually energized by the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
If you go back to verse 7 that was in this text, it says, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, Paul's actually talking about the strength that he has. The strength that he has doesn't come from himself. It doesn't come from everybody else. It comes from the word of truth. It comes by the armor of righteousness. It comes by what God has supplied. And we need to be energized and we need to be strengthened and we need to be made alive afresh in him. Brothers and sisters, it's complicated. It's not easy, but it calls for good decisions and it calls for genuine dedication to him. This call to separation is compelling. It's certainly competing and it's complicated, but it's a call nonetheless for you and me. As we come to the table this morning, I want to maybe just challenge us. This table is really all about the request that is being made of us here. It's a table that reminds us that Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and died for you and me. He was beaten, he was smitten, his body was broken for you and me. He shed his blood. Why? Not because of anything he had done, but because of your sin and my sin. And this morning as we come together, may we hear the call to separation. May we hear the call to yield ourselves to give of ourselves to him because after all, he gave his all for you and for me. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there in verse 23, it says this, for I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. As the communion stewards come this morning, would you take a few moments to just examine your own heart and your own life? As we prepare to share in the elements, may we be reminded of what the Lord has done for us.